At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We gather today to lift up the name of Jesus and to look specifically at the events surrounding the historical account of his resurrection. And today we're going to do so from John's gospel in chapter 20, but specifically we're going to look at the resurrection through the eyes of one of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, this guy named Thomas. Now, it is my guess that most of you in this room know Thomas by a nickname that we have attributed to Thomas. And that nickname is what? It is, yeah, Doubting Thomas. Now, that is the nickname that that we, from our vantage point in history, have attached to Thomas. And and it comes not just because Thomas was always this doubting guy. You know, it's like, are we going to have lunch today? And Thomas was like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not saying that Thomas was always this this doubter. Um, But the term doubting Thomas is attached to his response to the events immediately after the resurrection. See, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appears to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't among them at that time. And so Jesus appears to them, and the disciples are telling Thomas, hey, Thomas, Jesus is back. He's raised from the dead. And Jesus famously, or uh, Thomas famously says this in response. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so Thomas is famous for making this statement. And so we have nicknamed him Doubting Thomas. But you know, his nickname in the first century wasn't Doubting Thomas. He actually had a different nickname. You know what it was? It was twin. His name, Thomas, actually meant twin in Hebrew. And so his friends came up with this really creative nickname for him, which is what they called him Didymus, which is the word twin in Greek. I don't know how many of you speak Spanish, but it would be like if I nicknamed my dog Pero, right? It would be like just naming his nickname was just that word in another language. Um, But Thomas was known in his day as a twin. Now, that was probably because Thomas had a biological twin. We don't know who that was. It's not recorded in scripture, but that's probably where the nickname came from. But though we don't know his biological twin, I think that history has shown, and maybe this room has shown, and maybe your heart has shown, that Thomas has a number of other philosophical twins, others who have doubted the reality of the risen Christ, or have doubts and questions and concerns about other things that the scripture teaches. And if we find ourselves having doubts and questions, it's fair for us to wonder, how is it that God responds to our questions? How is it that God responds when we have a doubt? Well, we don't have to wonder because God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, approached Thomas in the days after his resurrection to let us know God's heart and attitude towards the philosophical twins of Thomas. We're going to see this today as we look at John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. We're going to spend the balance of our time in these verses. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and ask three questions of the text that will help organize our study of it today. 
John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, says this. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, friends, in these few verses, I want us to see three things that will organize around three questions that we might have as we come to this text. So what's the first question? First question is this, is Thomas your twin? Is Thomas your twin? Well, we get into that by looking a little closer at who Thomas is. Now, Thomas, we know more about than just that he made this statement in the day that Jesus was resurrected. Thomas actually did a few other things that are recorded for us in Scripture. Not everything that the apostles did are recorded in Scripture, but some of them are. So what do we know about Thomas? Well, we know that Thomas was one of the 12. He was one of Jesus's original disciples. He had traveled with him all over Israel. He had seen him do miracles. He had heard him teach. And he was pointing others and gathering others to Jesus' side. That was who Thomas was. Thomas, like the rest of the disciples, had hopes and expectations of what Jesus was going to do through uh, his entry into Jerusalem. And like the rest of the disciples, he became quite discouraged when Jesus was crucified. So that's who Thomas was. He was one of the 12. But there are a couple other statements that Thomas makes that actually paint him in a little bit different light. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 16, talks about the time when Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. And as he's heading towards Jerusalem, the disciples are anticipating a conflict. And Thomas says this. He says to Jesus, we're going to go there with you, and we are prepared to die with you. So you might wonder, why didn't we nickname him Thomas the Brave, right? Because that was what Thomas said in John 11. Or maybe we think about what Thomas did in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking about the way to heaven. I mean, don't you want to know the way to heaven? Don't you want to know how we can connect to God and be with him forever? Jesus in John 14 is getting ready to tell us. In the midst of, of talking about that, uh, Thomas stops him and says, Jesus, you're talking about this way. And he says, how do we know? How can we know the way to heaven? And Jesus responds with this amazing response in John 14, 6. Does anybody know what he said? Thomas said, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Thomas was one who asked really insightful questions at amazing times. Bump, set, and spike right there in that moment. And so we know this about Thomas. But we also know that he was not with the other 10 plus disciples 
on Easter night. So Jesus was crucified and then he was resurrected on Sunday morning. And he had appeared to uh, some of the women who had gone to the tomb. And later that evening, he had gone and appeared to the other 10 uh, disciples, the other 10 apostles. That was those minus Judas and also minus Thomas. For some reason, Thomas wasn't there. And so the question might be, well, where was Thomas at that time? And I think part of the answer to that is that it helps us realize what their expectation was. Don't you think if Thomas had an appointment on his daytimer that said Jesus was going to be in the upper room at six o'clock, that Thomas would have been there? He probably would have been early. But Thomas isn't expecting Christ to arrive. As a matter of fact, the other disciples weren't expecting Christ to arrive. They, they had gathered in that room and they had closed the door and they had locked it and they had drawn the shades because they were trying to seek solace and protection from the people that had killed Christ, possibly out of fear that they were going to come after them. And, and so Thomas, in this moment, perhaps he left because he's thinking, I don't want to be with the rest of those characters because if I'm with the rest of those characters, that makes us easier to catch. I'm going to take my chances on my own. Or perhaps he was just an internal processor and he went for a walk. Or maybe he's contemplating his future after his hopes in Christ had been dashed on Good Friday. We don't know, but for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't in the room that night at that time. And so Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples, and he shows them the wounds in his hands, and he shows them the wound in his side, and he says, look, I'm resurrected. Well, That sets us up for verse 25. The other disciples told that to Thomas. They said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now that is quite the gauntlet he just threw down, isn't it? He says, I need to have this. But when we we read this, we need to understand what Thomas was probably thinking. Thomas was probably thinking, I just want the same level of proof that y'all just had. I mean, Jesus just appeared in front of the rest of the disciples. I want him to appear in front of me. Jesus embraced Mary Magdalene. I want the chance to touch him as well. And so in this moment, Thomas is expressing his doubts and he's laying out the standard. I want the same level of proof that, that you, the rest of his followers, have already experienced. And so with that setup and with with that understanding and understanding that question, I want to go back and I want to ask this question. Is Thomas your twin? And I know when I ask that, some of you are going to say, well, I doubt it. (laughs) Hey, I'm nearly 50 and I'm a dad. I get at least one dad joke on Easter, right? (laughs) Though we might say I doubt it, the, the truth is maybe so, maybe so. There are many of us in this room who at some point in our lives have have had some doubts and have had some questions about things related to Christianity, God, and Jesus. Maybe even right now in this moment, you've got your questions about things. Those questions might be uh, related to the scripture. I mean, is this book true? Is it authoritative? How can I trust it? Did, Did everything that is talked about in here really happen? You might have your questions. Or the questions might relate to Jesus. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Does his death on the cross really pay the penalty 
for my sins. You might have some questions as you gather today, or they might even be more personal. Why did God allow that to happen to me? Or why is God allowing that to happen in the world today? You see, if we're honest, there are many in the room today, there are many who are listening to this message somewhere who are twins of Thomas, who have our doubts, who have our questions. I remember years ago when I was doing college ministry right here in in Norman, uh, a student came over and was asking me a number of the questions that he had. I still remember this. I was sitting on the back porch of our house, and he's just asking me questions. This wasn't the first time. This was after many, many times of us getting together, and he's asking me question after question. And, and, and eventually, um, I, I said to him, as we tried to process through and answer some of these questions, I said, you know, there are some questions that I have as well. And when I said that, it's like he just paused and stopped. He said, you mean... I don't have to have an answer to everything to believe and follow Jesus. I said, yeah, you don't have to have an answer for everything. And we paused and he said, well, I want to follow Christ. He bowed his head and we prayed and he trusted Christ. Now, I tell you that story and it's inspiring and it's an encouraging at one level, but is, was I Right? I mean, how does God respond to people who have questions? Again, we don't have to wonder, friends. We have an example in living color of how God responds to those with questions. And it's found in how God in the flesh responded to Thomas in the face of his questions. And so if our first question is, is Thomas your twin? And we answer that, maybe so. The second question is, really important, and that is how does Jesus respond to doubt? How does Jesus respond to doubt? And we see that unfold in verses 26 through 28. Verse 26 begins and says eight days later. So we're at resurrection day plus eight at this point. And at that point, what what is going on? What is transpiring? Well, it says his disciples were inside again. Why does it say again? Because they were inside the last time we saw them. You can go back and look at the rest of John chapter 20 later today, but in verses 19 through 23, we find out that they were behind that locked door when Jesus first appeared to them. Eight days later, they haven't really moved much. They still have questions. They still have concerns. They still are fearing for their life. And so they were there again. But this time, Thomas was with them. Now, it says, although the doors were locked... Jesus came and stood among them. Why were the doors locked? The doors were locked to keep the bad guys out. But friends, what an amazing thing. The doors were locked, but Jesus just walked right in. Now, just really quick as an aside, I I love this, this picture because it reminds us that nothing can keep us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We lock the door of our study. We lock the door of our journal. We lock the door of academia. We lock the door and we think God is going to stay out there. But a loving Savior goes walking right in. And he walks into the presence of the disciples. It says, he came and he stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. The same message he had given them eight days prior. Jesus was with them in their moment of question. He was with them in their moment of concern. He did not abandon them, but he came to them. And I think it's important for us to see that. But then the next thing I think is really important to see is that 
He wasn't just with them in general. He was with Thomas specifically. It says he, he calls out to Thomas. Now, how did Jesus know that Thomas had these doubts? Jesus is going to talk directly to him. I know what some of you were thinking. You're thinking, well, Peter probably told him, right? Trying to deflect some attention, you know? Hey, Jesus, Thomas is doubting you. We have no record of that, friends. You should be ashamed for thinking of that, a good old Peter. What really is going on here? Well, what's really going on is that Jesus just knows. Nobody had to tell him. The sovereign son of God knew the questions that were in the heart of Thomas. Nobody had to tell him. And so when Jesus shows up and he sees Thomas, he, he knows the questions that Thomas has. And so what does he say to Thomas? He says, Thomas, come over here. Just, just the, the tenderness of this moment. He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas here is the stand-in for all of his twins. All that have doubts and concerns and questions, Thomas is the one who gets to, to interact with Jesus in this moment, gets to place his hand out upon him and gets to hear these words spoken to him. What an amazing moment this is. And I think it's so powerful to see that Jesus has scars. You, you know, in his resurrected body, Jesus has scars. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that in my resurrected body, I won't have the scars that I have. You know, I, I want an upgrade. When, when I was in elementary school, two different times, I mean, I know your opinion of me is dropping. Two different times, I had a pencil go into my hand and leave a pencil mark on the inside of my skin that is still there to this day. So that when I look at my hands, I see those dumb decisions, those silly mistakes I made long ago. I look at my legs, I see surgeries, I see accidents, I see problems that have happened. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that in eternity, I won't have my scars. But in eternity, Jesus has his scars. You know why? To remind us of what he did. See, Jesus didn't get his scars because he loved us, so he went to the makeup room in heaven and he said, could you guys give me kind of the, the appearance of love so that when I show up, they think that I've done something for them? No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus got his scars the real way. He showed up. He was nailed to the cross. The spear really went into his side. And by those wounds, we are healed. And in eternity, they're still there, friends. Reminders for us, evidence for us that Jesus really came, that he really was who he said he was. And then he invites Thomas to have this little moment of change. This is a rebuke, but it's a loving rebuke. He says to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but repent. Turn. Do a 180. And based on the evidence in front of you, believe in me. What a hopeful thing. Jesus didn't show up and say, Thomas, 
I want you to see my wounds. I want you to interact with me. I want you to hear me. And then after you've done that, Jesus didn't say, Thomas, you idiot. That's how we play it in our heads, isn't it? Why did you have that question? How dare you have that question? It's not the way Jesus treats him. That's not the way he treats us. Based on the evidence, Jesus says, stop disbelieving, repent, turn, and believe in me. Now, after that statement is made, Thomas responds and answers this way. He says, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say, wonderful trick of resurrection. He doesn't say, you're just another who was resurrected like your friend Lazarus. No, Thomas saw this act as the culmination of the proofs that Jesus had demonstrated throughout his life and throughout his ministry. They were verifications that Jesus, in fact, was God. And he should be recognized as such. And not only was Jesus God, but also he was our Lord. He was, he was worthy to follow with his life. Thomas responded to the evidence by saying, my Lord and my God. And that transformation and that change is available to any when we have our questions, when we respond to Christ based on who he is. Now, how does Jesus respond to doubt? How does he respond to Thomas's twins? How does he re- respond to team doubt? He responds to team doubt by giving us reasons to believe. He certainly did that for the 10. He certainly did that for Thomas. He certainly did that for Mary Magdalene and the other eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They saw him. They were convinced that he was resurrected. It convinced them that he also was the son of God. And based on that evidence, they believed in him and they followed him even unto their death. But friends, the question really then turns to us. What about us, right? What does all of this mean for us? Because as we gather here today, um, we have not physically touched Christ. We have not seen him resurrected with our own eyes. And so how does this passage connect and relate to us? Well, it's amazing. That is what Jesus was thinking about in that moment. Because Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29, he says, have you believed because you have seen me? In other words, Thomas, we just had this moment. On the basis of that, you're believing in me. But he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's almost like Jesus talks to Thomas and then he turns, like like in television shows today where the characters are talking and then suddenly they'll step away and look through the camera to talk to the audience. Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen, and then it's like Jesus steps and looks through the lens of Scripture to each of us and says, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. There's hope for us. It's enough for us to hear and to believe. We can have the same blessing that Thomas had if we just but hear and believe the message of the gospel. If we turn from our doubts and turn in faith and follow Christ, we too can have salvation. Now, what's interesting is what John does next. Recording this historical event, John now pauses in the narrative 
to add an editorial comment for his readers and it's preserved for us. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we get to find out where our scars are that we get to touch. If we can't physically see Jesus right now and touch him and talk to him and and feel his wounds, where are the scars that we get to touch so that we might have evidence that leads us to belief? Well, John tells us, He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. He did all kinds of stuff. He taught all kinds of messages. He did all kinds of miracles. And not everything he did has been written down in the book. But the things that have been written down in John's gospel and in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and referenced in the rest of the scriptures, he says, these were written so that you, you, me, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, the scripture are our scars that we get to touch. The historical events that happened have been recorded here so that we might be able to verify. Our our hope is not based in a story. It's not anchored in something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's anchored in the Son of God who came to a real place. We could go there and visit it. He interacted with real people. Those accounts were recorded by by real folks who had integrity in their recordings. They were copied by believers for thousands of years and preserved so that you and I might be able to read them and have an accurate picture of who Christ is. And all of it is done without apology, with an agenda. And that agenda is that we would respond and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not so that we could say, well, we have a nice little story about what life was like in the first century. Just another history book. No, no, no. Friends, everything is recorded here is true, but it's recorded here and true for the purpose of convincing us that Jesus is not just another dude. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day so that we might have, as John says here, life. And that life comes on the other side of belief. What an amazing offer. What an amazing offer from God that he has made accessible to all of us. If if seeing Jesus with our eyes and touching him with our hands was the requirement for salvation, that would have limited it to such a very small group of people in the grand scheme of things. But by making it on the basis of hearing and belief, it is something that is available to all of us, even a bunch of Okies in, in Norman, Oklahoma, and even to people who are living thousands of years later. What an amazing moment this is. Friends, God has preserved this for us he has, he has delivered it to us that we might know who Christ is and believe in him. Friends, I, I believe we're here today. I believe you're watching online today because God wants to convince you. He wants to woo you. He wants to give you the historical evidence as recorded in scripture that Jesus is the son of God and that you might believe. And if you believe in Christ, what does that lead to? Well, we don't have time to get into all of this, but what are life in Jesus' name? What is he even talking about? Well, in John's gospel, there are a number of different references to life. One of them is in John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Who wants to light up this dark world? It happens not by just having a winsome personality. It happens by knowing Christ and allowing him to shine through us. 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You want a life that goes on without ending, that we don't have to fear death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might have the hope of newness of life. Friends, know Christ, trust him, believe in his name, and salvation forever is available to us. And Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Jesus said, it's the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Sometimes we reject Christ, we turn from him because we think that we know better or we have a better life or someone else has a better life for us. That is nonsense. The God who created us knows the way of life. And he beckons us and invites us to come and to experience it. On the other side of belief, leaving our doubts and on the basis of what we see, following him in faith. And so what does this mean for us? Friends, it means that we are to believe and that we are to follow. It means that we're to believe. If you are here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you're living locked behind the wall of your doubts and your experience and your concerns. But in this moment, you feel like Christ has has met you in this moment. And through the scripture, you've seen evidence that he was someone more than just another guy, that he was someone who loves me and who bled and who died for me. And you would like to trust him as your savior. You can do so right now. And through belief in him, you can have the blessings of the life that Christ has talked about. And for the rest of us that have trusted Christ at some point in the past. Oh, friends, in light of who Christ is, why would we ever go, well, that was nice. In light of who Jesus is, may we respond as Thomas did and say, my Lord and my God, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. Because there is no one like you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you so much for this incredible account that you've recorded for us in history so that we might, might learn and know how you respond and deal with doubters. Lord, today, I, I pray that if there are any here who are sitting in their doubts and questions, and they've, they've locked themselves away from your love and your truth, that today that the scripture might come alive to them, that they might respond and embrace in faith. And Lord, for all of us, that we might believe and follow you as our Lord. Leave our ways behind and follow you to the ends of the earth. We thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 